everyone who's just joining us. Um, good morning to you. Um, we're glad you joined us today. We start every Sunday at 1050, um, and we will be back at Wednesday at 730. So join us right here at Grace Family Worship Center. We also have a podcast. You can go, you can like it. I think it's, uh, there's a link to it there on Grace Family. Some people have asked about tithing or giving. Um, I think next week we should be on Givelify, where it'll, it'll have a link to the to the Grace Family Worship Center's Facebook page. And uh, you can also mail your checks to Grace Family Worship Center at 1816 Kearney Road, 1816-K-E-A-R-N-E-Y Road, Excelsior Springs, Missouri, 64024. So I'm going to be talking to you today about God is still God. God's still in control. Does it matter when we have glitches in our praise and worship, when my tablet doesn't work, when we have things going on in our society like we have today? God is still God. No matter what's happening in your life, God is still God. I got this message this week. I was, walking, I was watching Brother Paramore this week. Brother Paramore, if you see this. Shout out to you. I was watching him this week, and, and I didn't get to see your whole sermon. We were getting ready to come to church on Wednesday night. But I heard him say one thing, and he said, God is God. God is still God. God is still large and in charge. He's still in control. And that right there just jumped out at to me. And when he said that right there, I knew that was my message this week. So it made me start thinking about all the things that God is. God is our provider. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It says that he, he is the authority and he's granted us authority. He, he's given us delegated authority. We talked about it on Wednesday night. It says that he is our all in all. That means to the church. Ephesians 1.23 says he's everything in all things to the church. Why wouldn't we want to be a part of the church when the God of the universe is everything in all things, in all instances, all cases, he's everything to us. He's our shelter. He's our refuge. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll rise up his standard of protection, right? This is why the church, in times like this, when there's a storm brewing outside, when there's something going on, just like this virus or a tornado in Arkansas, I had family down there, when, when there's a storm brewing, we look different than the rest of the world. It's important that we look different because we have God, we have the master of the universe as our daddy, right? We're the salt and the light to the rest of the world, so we look differently, right? God is our guide. He knows the end from the beginning. Do you think any of these things that happen surprise God? None of it surprised God. None of it took, God knew that this coronavirus was going to happen in 2020, way back when he spoke the world into existence. He knows the end from the beginning. Think about how big that is right there. The end from the beginning. Nothing surprised him. God also chastains those he loves. He'll chastain the church. He'll chastain you. He'll correct you when you're in a relationship with him, right? He's the disciplinarian. God's a consuming fire. He'll consume things. He'll purge things out of your life if you want him to. He won't take things out of your life usually that you don't want him to, that you want to hang on to. He'll allow you to hang on to those things. Whether it be sin or whatever it is, a habit, whatever it is, he'll allow you to hang on to those things. But he will consume those things if you allow him to. He delivered me. God is the delivering God. He's the deliverer. He wants to deliver us. All these things, though, that he is, is because he's a loving father. It's because he's a loving father, right? He, he is the provider. He is the shelter. He is the refuge. He is the guide. He leads us and guides us through life if we'll pay attention. He chastains us. He corrects us. He gets us back on the straight and narrow. He's a consuming fire. He'll take things away from us if we'll allow him to, and he'll deliver us. When we need to deliver, because he is our loving father. He wants to be, he longs to be our loving father. Now, I don't have a lot of scripture today, even though I do have a lot of scripture. But I want to talk to the, to the story about Moses and the Israelites being delivered. And it's three books, so I couldn't really read it all to you. Go back and read it if you'd like to. It's Exodus, or I would encourage you to. It's Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the, the three books. So Moses, the leader of the Israelites, God called him to go lead him out. But before this happened, think about 
how big this is. Moses was supposed to be killed. The, the, the king ordered all the, fir, all the firstborn boys, I believe it was, to be killed and, and, and cast in the river. So Moses' mama made him a, a, a little boat and put him on it and put him out there. And, and the pharaohs or the king's daughter picked him up out of the river, saw this little baby, picked him up and brought him in. So he was supposed to be killed. What the enemy meant for harm was actually turned about for good by God. God, he was raised, in, he was raised as the king's son. They paid for his education, one pastor said. He was raised as the king's son. He was supposed to be dead. Church, the enemy means a lot of things. The Bible says all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. The, the enemy means a lot of things for our harm, but God can turn those things around for good if we'll allow him to, if, we, if we'll live for him, if we'll do these things. So that's a miracle in itself right there that God provided Moses from death into life through the king's house and brought him out in, to deliver the, the Israelites, right? So the Israelites were delivered. God put God had had ten plagues happen. He caused ten plagues to happen, right? And and then there was ten plagues, and then there was a Passover when they killed the lamb and they put the blood on the on the doorpost so the death the angel of death would pass over for the tenth for the tenth plague. If you don't know what it was, it was the death. My wife's telling me to slow down. Let me slow down. I'm really nervous looking at this phone. If you don't know that, I'd rather preach in front of a whole room full of people. It's really tough to get up in front of this phone. Really tough to play the guitar in front of this phone. Um, we practice these songs, Katie and I do at home. We practice them at church some, but we 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 get them till we have them down pat, and then you point this phone at us, and the wheels fall off this thing. So um, I'm looking past the phone and try to at my lovely wife sitting here. Um, so the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn son. So um, and maybe I got that confused with Moses, but they were supposed to kill the babies in Moses' day also. Um, so then they had the Passover, so the angel of death would pass over and not kill the Israelite babies. So he's a deliverer. If you're in bondage today, he will deliver you. Amen. If you're in bondage, he want, it, it, not only that he will deliver you, but he would love to deliver you today out of bondage if you're in bondage today, right? He was their provider for the Israelites. He was a rock that followed them around in, in the wilderness that delivered cool water. Now think about the immensity of this right here. There was two million people there, about a million and a half, million and a half two million people of the Israelites that were delivered out of Egypt. And God followed, had, a, had a rock follow him around that delivered enough cool, good, clean drinking water. I imagine if God delivered it, it was the best water in town. Probably better than the bottled water we get in these bottles today, I'm sure. So he provided enough water for all these people to drink. A couple Imagine just the weight of that. And this rock wasn't in one place. It wasn't stationary, but it followed around. I'm talking about God being a provider. God is still God, right? He provided for them with water. He, he, he caused manna to come out of heaven and just be on the ground when they woke up in the morning. Every day they just went out and picked up the manna. They picked up their food for the day. He told them, don't pick up food for tomorrow, only food for today. Only on the Sabbath could they pick up enough, or on, on the day before the Sabbath, I guess it was, so they could pick, it up, uh, pick up enough that they weren't working on the Sabbath. This is trust in God, right? He was teaching them to trust in him. Even though all this man is out here, don't pick it up for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You only pick up what you need today. Trust in me, he was telling them. So he, he provided manna. And then when they got tired of the manna and they complained about the manna, they grumbled about the manna, then he provided quail. He said, all right, you're going to eat meat until it runs out your nostrils. Think about how many quail it would take to fill two million people until it ran out their nostrils. Until the, I believe it running up their nostrils probably means they vomited it up. They ate until they were sick. Think about how many quail. The little quail breast is small. One person could eat multiple quail. I've been quail hunting before, and I've never shot my limit even. Can you imagine enough to kill two million people? So God's a provider, right? 
Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They walked around the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes never wore out. Their, their articles of clothing never wore out. The things that they had didn't wear out because God provided for them. Sometimes God provides for us. A lot of times God provides for us in ways that we don't re even recognize because it's in a way of we didn't have to buy new tires for our car or, or this or that didn't wear out or things didn't happen and we dismiss the miracles in that. But God is a provider and God is still God. God protected them. He was a fire by night. Imagine keeping the lions away and the, and the tigers away and, and all the animals that might like to eat them because they had a fire by night, a pillar of fire that just followed them around. A couple million people just followed them around, right? He was a cloud by day. I imagine the cloud by day, they lived in a desertous kind of environment, so I imagine the cloud by day kept the sun off their heads. I would really, they, you'd really appreciate that if you were bald-headed. Keep the sun off your head. I got a little bit of a sun, sun yesterday, but, but he did these things. I'm talking about the ways he protected them, right? He told Joshua, he said, just as it was with my servant Moses, no one will be able to stand in front of you the rest of your days. No one will be able to stand in front of you all of your life. Church, no one will be able to stand in front of you all of your life if you'll just live for him. He wants to provide for us. He wants to protect us. He wants to deliver us, right? And then he chastains us. That's the part that no one really likes. But he does it for our good. Imagine if I never corrected my son or my daughter. If I never corrected them, you all have met kids like this that have never been corrected or, or not very often. No one likes to be around those children, right? We don't want our kids to be hooligans. We want them to be productive, productive citizens, productive members of society. So it's good for us to be chastained. He chastained them with the Ten Commandments. He gave them the Ten Commandments, the Israelites I'm still talking about. I'm still talking about God is still God. Just as he was God back in that day, he's still God today. He never changes. God is still God. He corrected Korah when he caused the, and that group of people, when they spoke against Moses. They spoke against the man of God, and he causes the ground to open up and swallow him. They were speaking against Moses, and he said, all right, Moses, call them over here tonight, and let's have a meeting with them. So Moses called a meeting, and they showed up, and, and God caused the ground to open and swallowed them up. That was correction. That was chastaining, right? He, he purged those things out of the house of God. You're speaking against the, the, the man of God. He opened the ground, swallowed them out. How many knows that they didn't talk about him anymore? I bet the ones who were left watched their lips, right? They, they talked differently. They thought about things before they said them, right? So they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. That was only a, an 11-day journey, I believe it was, 10 or 11-day journey to get to the promised land from Egypt. They could have walked there in less than two weeks. But instead, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because they grumbled around the, about that manna. They grumbled and said, we can never take the promised land when they sent out the spies. You all know the story. So Moses couldn't enter into the promised land because of correction. God was correcting him. God was chastaining him, right? Even though God did all these things for the Israelites, right? He, he delivered them. He provided for them. He protected them. He corrected them. They still turned and made a golden calf. Just like us today, church, we say we'd never do that. We'd never do that. But how many things do we get between us and God? Whether it be a job, an electronic, a person, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a career, an education, whatever it may be that we allow to get between us and God, a hobby, right? God is a jealous God. He was hurt because they returned to this golden calf, and he corrected them one more time. Do you all remember the story, what happened? The next thing that happened was he said, have the house of Aaron go out and, and purge these things out of us, basically purge these people out, and they went out and killed 3,000 on that day. There was correction. Church sin costs something. God may forgive us, but there's still going to be a cost for that sin. They turned to a golden calf. They murmured and claimed, 
and, and complain, this hurt God. Have you ever had someone, have you ever tried to help someone or do something for someone and then they complain and act like it's not good enough? This is what they were doing to God. It hurt God when they did that. Now let's look at Elijah, Elijah and Elisha. I get these two confused all the time. I'm terrible with names to start with, for those of you who don't know me. Um, but Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was provided a cake by a widow woman. Talking about God is still God, how God provides, God protects. God sent Elijah to the creek when there was a famine in the land, and the, and the, and the king was looking for him, wanting to kill him. And, and he, said, he said, go down and stay by the creek, go down and stay by the river. And he had ravens come and, and provide for him. And if you have never been around ravens, ravens are kind of a scavenger type of bird from what I've seen of them. And they'll steal your food. They, they eat out of dumpsters. They, any kind of thing that they can, they can get a hold of. They, so I can't imagine them taking food and giving it away to someone. So that, that had to be God that provided for him. Um, when, when Elisha was hunted by an army, he had, he had his assistant with him. And, and his assistant saw this army coming to the city, and they were surrounded by this army. And Elijah, Elijah said, Lord, or Elisha said, open, Lord, open his eyes. Please let him see what I can see. And he opened his eyes, and he saw the army of the Lord encamped all around them. Most of us, church, are like that servant. We don't see that he's got it. We don't realize that God's got this all the time. We see the circumstances. We see the things, we see, we see the things that are on television. We see that, that, that people are losing their jobs. We see that, that, that our stocks that we have might not be worth as much as they were. And we forget that God's still got this. There's an army of angels encamped all around you. They're everywhere. God's got people. God is in control. God is still God. Those army of angels were there to protect, and they were there to comfort. Because when that assistant saw those angels there, Oh, he felt better. He knew that if it did get ugly, this army that looked like they had them, they were in deep trouble. They were in a lot of trouble. In Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7, see why I'm not reading these scriptures? It's good these stories go on for chapters. And, Judge, and I'm, I'm going to read you some scripture in a minute. Don't think that I'm not giving you any scripture, but you can go back and read these things. Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7, Gideon. Gideon was hiding in a wine press from the Midianites. He was hiding in a wine press because they, they were being suppressed at this time. They were overran by him. And he was hiding in a wine press trying to save his own neck. And the angel of the Lord to him and came to him and said, Gideon, get up, you mighty warrior. Get up, I've got a job for you to do. I'm paraphrasing. That's basically what he tells him to do. Get up, I've got a job for you to do. The angel's calling him a mighty warrior even when he's hiding in a wine press. Gideon doesn't realize he's a mighty warrior. He doesn't see what God sees in him. He doesn't see what God wants to use him for and move in his life and, and, and do with him, right? So he says, get up, and, and, and Gideon argues. I'm not a mighty warrior. He argues with the angel of the Lord a couple times. He, he, he's going against what he says a little bit there. But the angel of the Lord continues to get up. And, go, and, and so Gideon, made, Gideon went, got up and made a sacrifice and went on to do what he had to do. And you all know he, he, he fleeced God with the, with the cloth and laid it out there and wanted it wet and wanted it dry and, and all the things that he did. And it went on. He was leading 33,000 men. A little later on, I think it was in chapter 7 by that point. Gideon was leading 33,000 men, and God was sending them to take out the Midianites that were oppressing Israel. You remember the story? And uh, he said, Gideon, you've got too many men. And this army that they were going up against was vast. It says they were, they were as vast as the sand on the seashores. They, this was a huge army. This 30, in the natural, this 33,000 men wasn't enough to take out this, this army of the Midianites anyway. But God said, Gideon, you've got too many men. I want you to downsize some. I don't want anybody to be able to say that this was you or this army that took these Midianites that delivered Israel one more time. 
from oppression. I don't want anybody to be able to say that it was you that did this or this army that did this. So tell anybody who's afraid, go ahead and go home. So he did this, and 22,000 of them left. So 32,000 minus 22,000, now he's down to 10,000 men. Excuse me, my nose is itching. Now he's down to 10,000 men. Right? So he says, that's still too many men, Gideon. Take them down the river and see, who, see how they drink water, and, and I'll tell you which ones can go with you. So they go down the river, and he said, whoever picks water up in their hands and drinks it, those are the ones that get to go with you, Midian. If they get down on their knees and they drink out of the river like a dog, they're going home. So they get down there, and there was 300 men that picked up water with their hands and drink the water with their hands. So he said, those are the 300. Those are the ones you're taking with you. So they went on, and that very night, it says, they went out to fight the Midianites. They went not, not to fight the Midianites. God had this. God is still God. God's in control. So he has, them to, he has these 300 men to take an odd selection of weapons. It was a trumpet. Each one had a trumpet. Each one had an empty pitcher. And each one had a torch. Going into battle against an army that was much larger than them. Think about this. This took a whole lot of trust. So they had a trumpet, an empty pitcher, a torch, and a whole lot of trust. A whole lot of faith in God to go out there and do this. So they come up, they blow the trumpet, you don't know the story. They yell and holler, they break the pitchers, and the Midianites, God calls them to turn their swords on one another. And they kill one another. And the Israelites run the rest of them that are left out of there. God's got this. God's still God. He's still in control. And then... I always like to use a personal story, especially when I'm reminded by my lovely wife to use a personal story. It makes it more personal. Um, I, I was feeling a lot of pressure today, knowing that I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own ability, that I have to rely on God. And, and my lovely wife comes in and gives me some pointers, and this is one of them she gave me. So I, I depend on her all the time. Um, not as much as I depend on God, but, but Brenda's my helpmate. So um, she reminded me of us when we came to Grace Family Worship Center. When we came to Grace Family, we were brand new at preaching. We'd been preaching for a few years in a nursing home, and it was rough. I listened to some of my old recordings from the nursing home, and I really don't know why people stayed. <laughs> However, um, we were called to Grace Family. We, came, we went to the board, told them. They brought us here. And, and uh, first off, I want to tell you this. Before we came here, I told God that, I said, God, I'm not ready for this. I'm, I'm not ready. I can't do this. And he said, this is why he was calling me into it now, because if he called me into it now, I would have to depend on him. And if he called me when I thought I was ready, I would, be de I would depend on myself. So sometimes we've got to just trust in God and believe in him and step out into whatever he's having to step out into. It may not make sense at the moment what he's having to step out into. He didn't tell me all the steps I had to take when he first called me out in to preach. First he said, you're going to preach. Then he said, you're going to pastor. Then he said, you're going to go over here to Grace Family Worship Center, to a church that there was no money. There wasn't even a church bank account. There was no people. And the building was in terrible repair. I could, when I came here, I could stick my finger, literally, stick my finger through the wood on the window of my office and put it around to the inside of the building. I could have pulled the glass out of the window. The wood was that rotten around the windows and some of the soffits and things. So anyway, there was no money, there was no people, and, there was, and the building was in bad repair. And I wasn't, uh, it wasn't because we were fabulous preachers or anything. But God sent money. He sent people. He sent workers. He sent supplies. He sent all these things. Our building's been completely fixed. The inside's painted. The, it has all new windows in it. It has all new soffit and fascia. The building's brick. The part that needs painted was painted. Now it's been wrapped even. All the, it's all maintenance-free. All new gutters on it. All those things because of what God did. It wasn't because of us. It wasn't because we were fabulous preachers, right? It wasn't because we had a big name somewhere. We had made a, made a big name for ourselves. 
Um, I even prayed for musicians for five years. We, we started out with, a, it was me and my wife and, and our kids and my mom and, and, and my stepdad and, and my niece. So there was about 10 or 11 of us that came here. Um, and I prayed, my niece sang and my daughter sings, but we had no musicians in the house. And uh, I prayed for musicians for about five years. And God had given me a guitar probably seven or eight years ago. But I didn't know how to play this guitar. I wanted a guitar, and my wife gave it to me for Christmas, but I didn't know how to play the guitar. So I was praying for, for musicians one day, and God said, I gave you a guitar. The Spirit spoke to me and said that, and I said, yes, sir, I'll take lessons then. So I started, I started taking guitar lessons. It's only been, uh, it was a year ago in January, so I haven't been doing this very long. So I haven't been playing the guitar very long. So um, that happened, and then I started taking guitar lessons in January, and by the time I think it was September got here, God sent us a drummer, a piano player. We, have a bung we already had a bungle player by this time. We, we have a bungle player. We have two singers. So we don't usually just have me and Katie up here, but we're immediate family. So that's how we're doing our podcast or our video right now, our live stream. So I'm still talking about God. This is what God's did. And it wasn't because we had some big name, but it was because he was God. Yeah. It wasn't because I was ready to preach or I was a, I was a fabulous preacher. It was because he's God. In all these stories that I've told you today, God didn't stop the circumstances. He didn't. The Israelites had to go through what they went through. Moses had to go through it. We had to go through it. Elisha and Elijah had to go through it. Gideon, he had to get out there with that picture. They all had to step into what they did. God didn't stop the circumstances, but he provided a way through it. He provided a way through it, and he wants to provide that way through it today for us. He still wants to provide for us. He's still God. God is still God, and he's still in control. A lot of people want full-time benefits, though, without ever doing the job. They don't want to step out into it. They don't want to live the lifestyle. They don't want to rely on God. They don't want to do those things. Church, if you're waiting until a tragedy strikes or something bad happens to jump on the bandwagon, you're already in a lot of trouble. You're already in a lot of trouble. We have to live for God and learn to rely on God, learn to build our faith up before the trial. Now, I'm not saying to give up if you haven't already done that. Jump on the bandwagon anytime that you can. Jump on with God anytime that you can. Start that relationship up today. But it would have been a lot better for us if we'd started the relationship before, if we'd started building our faith before this, right? God's, God wants to be there for us. God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die on a cross so that he could reconcile this relationship with, back with us that he didn't even mess up. We messed it up. Mankind messed it up because of sin, right? He wrote this Bible and gave it to us. It has over 3,300 promises in it because he loves you. It's all because he loves us, but you have to love him back. You've got to love him back. If you don't love him back, it's not a relationship. It's not a relationship if you don't love him back. He loves us that much, but we have to love him too. So many people say that they're not as religious as me, and I tell them I'm not religious. This is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with Almighty God. And God intended to be everything for us. He intended to be everything for us. In Matthew 6, 33, it says this. Most of you probably have it memorized. In Matthew 6, 33, it says this. But seek, in the, new, in the King James, it says, seek ye first. But I'm going to read the, the, King, the New King James. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him first, and all these things shall be added to you. He was talking about food, water, shelter, clothing, all the things that we need. He was talking about everything that you're going to need in your lifetime. All these things will be added to you. You just worry about seeking God. You just worry about this relationship with him. Whether you're, whether you're in the relationship or whether you're not in the relationship or whether you want to start a new relationship today, 
He's telling us whether we've had a relationship for 20 years. Press into that relationship. Push into that thing. Work on building this relationship up. Building our faith. If you, if you haven't yet started a relationship, do that today. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this message. Do that today. If, you, if you've had a relationship before, but, it, but, but you've struggled with it, and, and, you, and you know you need to get back to God, make a new commitment today. He'd love to have you back. We complicate things, though. God intended to be everything to us, but we complicate things because we struggle. We struggle. We want to figure it out ourselves. We want to understand everything. We want to know how it's done or, or how we're going to get it done. We struggle. Look at Adam. Take, take Adam, for example, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Why did they need more than they had? God gave me this this week, and it was like a light bulb moment. They, they wanted to be more like God and things. The serpent deceived them to trying to do something on their own to be more like God. But why did they need more than they had? They already lived in a garden in paradise where they didn't have to break a sweat. Everything was handed to them, all the food they wanted. It was beautiful there, I can imagine. God came, came down himself and, and walked with Adam in, in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. And yet they still wanted more. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Why did... And so many times, church, we think that we need more. We think that we need more. We need more than what God's provision gives for us. So we want to go out and work and work and toil. And then we lay out of the house of God. And then we, then we get things in front of our relationship with God. Why do we need more than what God, God provides for us, right? <clears throat> Ephesians 5.22, and I'm just going to quote this for you. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as Christ does the church. And we see this so many times, and we can see, we can see a relationship of a man and a woman. And, 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 and a lot of people want to stop reading right there, but it goes on to say, husbands, love your wife just like you love yourself, just like Christ loved the church and he died for her. So in a true biblical marriage, a husband would die for his wife. So that means he would never hurt her. He would never speak bad to her. He would never speak ill of her. He wouldn't talk to his mom and his, his, his friends or whatever bad about her, right? He would do everything he could do to provide her and get her everything that she wants, right? But then the, husband, or the wife would submit to the husband and love the husband and cherish the husband and, and, and be there to support the husband, right? That's a biblical marriage. So just the Bible is, is pointing this relationship out between a husband and a wife as it is from God or Christ and the church and us. Just like a husband with a wife, we should submit to him and he wants to be there for us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to be our rock. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be our shelter. He wants to protect us. He wants to do all these things. But we have to submit to God. Right there where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. We have to submit to God. There's a scripture that says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Doesn't say he might, doesn't say he maybe, doesn't say he will for some people. It says if you submit to God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He will flee from you. He wants to care for us like his own body. God does, I'm talking about. God wants to care for us like his own body, but we must submit. In James 4 and 10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Submit to God. I must become lower and he must become higher. His ways are higher than my ways. I'm not going to be able to figure this out better than he's already got it figured out. He knows the beginning from, or he knows the end from the beginning. So humble myself to God. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Church, stop trying to lift yourselves up. Stop trying to figure it all out. You don't know. You're not going to get it. 
And if we continue to try to figure it out, it's not going to work the way we think it's going to work anyway. He already has a plan. You're part of that plan. He loves us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to be there for us. He wants to have that relationship with us. Why wouldn't we let him? Church, we need to realize that God is still God. God is still God. He's in control. He wants a relationship. It's not about what we have to give up. So many people are hanging on to something. Whether you, whether you like to drink, whether you like music that you consider inappropriate or, or a relationship you consider inappropriate or whatever the case may be, you name it. Whatever it is for you, it's not about what you have to give up.